We have a lot of people in my community that earn incredible incomes. I mean, we're talking millions upon millions of dollars a year. And so many of these people are leaving that, the safe, the cushy job, the, we're talking extremely high pay, like not top 1%, top one quarter of 1% in annual income. And they're walking away from it because they've gotten to a point in their life where they want to pursue something more valuable to them than money. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. How often do we get to see the beginnings of an empire? Before the spotlight shines on someone, what was the catalyst for their success, for their pivot? Our guest today tells us it was replacing his wife's teaching income. Entrepreneur Magazine calls him the Warren Buffett of lifestyle investing. He is the founder of the Lifestyle Investor and a master of low-risk cash flow investing. Our guest today, Justin Donald, the author of The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cash Flow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. The book is now in the top 1% of all books ever sold, and he's sitting down with us today to discuss how he started in this work, how ultimately it was designing his peer group that pointed him in this direction, and the wild success he's had ever since. Justin's ethos is to create wealth without creating a job, and he does just that. Though he started off just trying to replace his wife's teaching income, today he's a nine-figure earner, owns multiple businesses in many industries, Orange Theory Fitness, Kids Strong franchises, and so much more. He also has one of the largest mobile park portfolios in the U.S., He shared the stage with Richard Branson, Robert Kiyosaki, and Kevin Harrington, but today he's sharing the stage with us. Let's get into it. Thank you. Justin, for joining us today on Pivot Me. Hey, Pearl. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that we got connected. We got connected through Hal Elrod and he said, you've got to interview Justin. This will be an amazing interview. So he set the bar high for you. Sorry. (laughs) Hal is a great interviewer. So if I could even be 50% of Hal and how he showed up, I'll feel pretty good. Just did dinner with him last night and he is just a blast. Perfect. No, I'm sure it's going to be great. Just our offline conversation was amazing. So Justin, when I look at your bio and I look at the things you've done, walk us through how you got into this type of work, because obviously you didn't start in this line of work. How did you say, this is the thing that I want to do now? Well, it's interesting. I think at different stages of life, I've just given myself enough time to gain clarity. I mean, at certain stages, I guess I've been so busy going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing where it's just total reactionary mode. I don't have any time for me. I don't have time to think 
It's just one activity the next, putting out fires. And I just find at a certain period of time, it just becomes really draining or just really unsatisfying. And so mm-hmm. the better I have been at plugging in time to just think, to have technology free time, to just block off time so I cannot be interrupted, or what I often like to say is interrupt my interruptions, is that's where I found clarity in figuring out next steps, next moves. And I kind of have this journal list of questions that I go through as I get stumped, as I feel like, hey, it's time for a pivot. It's time for something new. It's time to kind of break free from what I've been doing or the identity that I've had here doing this because I need to reinvent myself or it's a new season of life or business. And so for me, I've just found lots of clarity in kind of looking inward and creating the space. If you create it, it will be there. And I know all the answers lie within me, even though I can utilize other people to maybe speak in and get things started. So I've had some pretty awakening moments and aha moments, just reflecting on what it is I want, who I want to impact, what things actually light me up as opposed to drain my energy and then really pivoting to focus on those things. So Justin, if I heard you right, there's sort of this kind of inkling that I'm ready for a pivot there's a feeling inside of you. And then you turn to your journal and these sort of standardized list of questions. And then that helps kind of bring it to fruition. Yeah. And I also have other friends that are really good question askers. So I might engage (laughs) them and, you know, try to get the parties that don't have the biases that I have, like who's emotionless or emotion free on these topics that Mm -hmm. they don't have a vested interest, like maybe a corporate employer is going to have a vested interest or a business partner. Or I I think even like with with spouses, there's like so much. uh, They have a dog in the fight. Yeah, but they do. So who is truly an independent party that can speak into your life? I think that's just so important and so rare to find those people. Agreed. Agreed. So when I'm thinking about, and that's one of the things we talk about a lot is having people that they understand the vision of the life you're trying to create. We call it the my three Y, the three-year vision of your life in business. So you have to have the person that sees that vision because you know, you've done the work, you outlined it, but they cannot have the dog in the fight. Because if they do, they can't help but say, how is this decision you're about to make going to impact me? And even to the most minor of of examples, like if I want to run a marathon, my spouse may not want that because the alarm's going to go off at 5 a.m. We had a guy in our academy that was like, I feel like my wife is sabotaging me because she turns my alarm off every time. I'm like, she is. She may not call it that, but she's totally sabotaging you because your goal is impacting her. And we have to navigate around that, but we have to figure out a way to still get after our goals even when maybe they're a little inconvenient for some people. Yeah, completely. And then also find the people that will support them at Mm -hmm. the same time, right? So who can be the cheerleaders that can give you the emotional support when things aren't going as they should, or the routine hasn't been established yet, or it's really hard and it feels like everyone's on the other side and against you. Yeah. It always takes longer than we think and costs more money than we think, right? Oh, yeah. We're like, yeah and, oh. and by the way, from a cost standpoint, it's often not even a monetary cost. Like it can be that, but there's an emotional cost. Like there's mm. emotional baggage that weighs where when you're indecisive, I mean, it drains you, right? So there's a time cost 
to it. I mean, there's so many layers of what that looks like. And until you're fully in and have that clarity and are kind of taking those actions to do it and are in the routine of doing it, then it becomes systematic. But until then, we need all the help we can get. Yeah. I love when you said indecisiveness drains you. It absolutely does. I remember asking this young CEO once he'd achieved a lot of success at a very early age. And I asked him what was his secret. I'll never forget what he said. He said, I never remake the same decision twice. And I thought, how often do we do that? And it's a waste of time, but this indecisiveness or remaking the decision really does drain us of our energy that we could be putting towards a forward direction. Even if it's the wrong direction, then you pivot and adjust. But man, you're right. Sitting in that place of indecisiveness really does drain us. Well, and I think sometimes we get caught in the trap of what's right and what's wrong. And it's Mm. likely not a right and wrong thing. I mean, there are certainly right and wrong aspects of life and decision making around morals and ethics. But you remove that Mm. and you say, hey, should I stay at this job doing what I'm doing or should I leave? I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I actually think it's here's a list of pros and cons for each decision And you may not know what the best decision is until you make a decision that allows you to enter a third door that didn't exist until you made that first decision. Yes. So Justin, when you made this decision, so you have a corporate job, I would imagine that there were people vested in you staying, not just your employer, but I would imagine when you say, I'm going to step away from this, I'm going to make a different decision. Were people supportive of that? Or were people kind of like, hey, you had a good thing going on. Why are you going to rock the boat? Yeah, you know, I had people on both sides of the aisle, but Mm -hmm. a lot more people on the side of why are you changing? You've got a good thing. That thing is known. You Mm -hmm. have a certain output. It produces a certain income. You understand you have the skill set now because you've been doing it for a period of time. So on that corporate side and on that side where I have people above me that have a vested interest in me and because of my efforts, they reap rewards. It was not popular. I mean, my exit was kind of highly contested and it was a really long drawn out process. And I feel like it was a lot of people that maybe weren't showing up as the professionals that they once were or couldn't, you know, maybe they didn't show up the the best way that they could have or should have. And by the way, maybe I didn't either. From my vantage point, I feel like I did, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I have a bias in that, but I can tell you that transition for me was a challenge. And it's also people that I care about. So you're leaving these important relationships, leaving relationships with mentors and with partners and with friends that there's history and brilliant, wonderful history. So that can be a challenge. And I remember when I was transitioning out, I worked really hard to build up a real estate portfolio to basically replace my earned income with passive income. And when I was making this pivot, I had finally equaled the passive income that totaled my earned income. And my and you friends, did that before you left? Yeah, okay. I did. And I will say like the caveat to that, so that I did it the safe way. I did it where lifestyle doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And I probably took a lot more time than I needed to. In retrospect, I probably would have left and I know I could have figured it out. But this was a way that I felt good about it. My wife really felt good about it. And so, you know, I wanted to honor that where nothing on the home front changed. But Mm -hmm. it was funny because the moment I left, I figured out how to make a lot more money really quick. And I didn't anticipate it was going to happen that way. But Mm -hmm. in the transition out, April, my friends were like, you're crazy. You could double up. You could make twice as much money. Are you crazy? And I said, my goal is not to make more money. 
My goal actually has never been to make more money. My goal has been to buy my time back. Mm-hmm. I want more freedom. I want to live life on my terms. I want to pursue the things that fill me up and bring me joy and where I'm living full of passion and I'm not feeling that in my current role. So Mm -hmm. if I leave and my expenses are covered, then I can take the time to figure out what those activities are. I think that's so important that you were able to discern that their goals were different than your goals. Their goals was the pursuit of more money, which is fine, but that wasn't necessarily your goal. You wanted your time back. You wanted freedom. And it's important when we recognize that because a lot of times society will kind of like, well, but you know, or sometimes it's even parents, you got a good thing going on. This is what you went to college for. Like, these are all stories that I hear from clients that they're like, here is the very compelling and logical arguments that so many people made for me to stay right where I was. The other thing I want to ask you about, Justin, is a lot of people have a struggle with the identity switch. Did you struggle with that? Like I identify as this corporate role I had before and who am I if I'm not tied to this organization? You know, I think that, I guess I was under the impression that I wouldn't experience much of a struggle with that. And my struggle probably wasn't as much with like title, like that wasn't Mm -hmm. a big deal to me, but it was leaving the relationships and the people that I cared about. So for me, I actually felt this void for a little bit of like, well, the people I poured into, I'm no longer pouring into. The people sure. that poured into me are no longer pouring into me. The people I travel with, I'm not really traveling with them. So my identity, I think that it was a little more relational. It's like, how do I mm-hmm. fit into the equation versus like my title was this or my yeah. my role was this. So, so that for me was a little bit of a transition. But I think everyone's got these these handcuffs in some way, shape or form. And for most people, it's tied to the quality of life that they've built, right? Like mm-hmm. the golden handcuffs, like I you know, earn this sure. much, my lifestyle costs this much. If I leave, my lifestyle changes. But I think you have other people that they're kind of handcuffed to the safety and security of the known factor. Like, you mm-hmm. know how much you're making, you know what you're, you have a job, right? And I think that not everyone thrives off of that. I think that there's plenty of people in the world that they need that safety and security and they're a slave to their job, their business, their whatever, because of that. It's harder for them to leave. But each of us need that variety and need something new and need the ability to be a student again in something, Mm -hmm. to be able to learn and grow. And I think when people experience that and I mean, really give themselves permission to go back and kind of start over somewhere new. Mm. It is just a magical place to live. Give yourself permission. That's a really good way of putting it. And one thing I want to point out for the pivoters listening, not everybody is meant to be entrepreneurs. Let's be clear about like, there is nothing wrong with being a W-2 earner at a corporation. And if that meets your needs, there is nothing wrong with it. Owning a business is only for some people, and it's not for everybody. And there's no right or wrong in that. But what I found was that if someone has this desire to be a business owner, it doesn't tend to go away. So even if you have a good role in a corporation and things are going well, and you're well compensated and you've got a nice vacation package and all this perks and stuff like that, Sometimes it's a whisper, but it doesn't tend to go away. And my experience eventually gets louder and louder. Now, Justin, I want to talk about like how you made that transition. Like I hear that I replaced my income before I left. What is that first decision? Like, okay, I'm going to start investing and this is what it looks like. Yeah. And and by the way, just to support your last point, before I Mm -hmm. jump into this next one, we have a lot of people in my community that earn 
incredible incomes. I mean, we're talking millions upon millions of dollars a year. And so many of these people are leaving that, the safe, the cushy job, the, we're talking extremely high pay, like not top 1%, like top one quarter of 1% in annual income. And they're walking away from it because they've gotten to a point in their life where they want to pursue something more valuable to them than money. And that most people will experience, I think the younger years, a lot of people maybe over-prioritize the financial aspect of what they do, like what they can earn, what that means, (laughs) focusing on net worth, which Mm -hmm. most people is like this you know, it's paper money. It's not even tangible most of the time, yeah. right? But I think later you learn that there are things more important and hopefully we learn it sooner than later. Sure. I have a good friend that says time is life's money. Yeah. And I was like, that's good. so true. Like time is one of those non-renewable resources. So buying back your time, regardless of how much you could get paid by somebody else. And that's what you did, right? I mean, that you is. don't work nearly as much as you did for the corporation before. That's right. Now it's, I get to work. It's not that I don't want to work. I love working, but Mm -hmm. I get to work on things that give me energy every day and I get to set my schedule and I love extended weekends. So I generally work my Tuesday to Thursday schedule and I love it because I've got projects that are important to me and people Mm -hmm. that I'm passionate about. And then that's wonderful, but I have extended weekends. I've got time for creativity. I've got time for friends. Like my family gets good quality time every week. And so that to me really fills me up. And yeah. you had asked me earlier, you know, like, what was my transition? What was my pivot? And I, I got to tell you, it was really nerve wracking for me because, well, first of all, I had a friend that was buying single family homes and doing rentals. And by every metric or measurement of success, you'd say, this guy's doing really well. But he said, man, this thing is such a grind. It takes so much work. It's I'm managing so much. Like I went from having passive income to like getting more things to like kind of buying myself a job. Like my business owns me. I don't know my business. My business owns me. And he's like, I got to transition. So he sold his single family home portfolio and he's like, I'm going to buy a mobile home park. And I remember thinking, you're going to do what? He's like, yeah, do you want to go to a boot camp with me? And I'm like, no, that sounds horrible. I do not want that. I have a dentist no. appointment I'd rather go to. Right? And so he goes to this boot camp and comes back and buys a mobile home park and starts, you know, I'm just, I'm an observer. I'm watching. He's mm-hmm. doing really well. And I'm like, oh, wow, this thing's really cash flowing. At one point I was lending him money. He was paying me a return and then he was making an even bigger return. I was like, well, why should I keep lending you money? Shouldn't I just do this? You're paying me 10%, but what if I just did it? Could I make 20 or 30 or 40% of my money? And he's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I am. And so he showed me his financials. And I was like, okay, I think I am going to go to this mobile home park boot camp." And so I learned how to do it. But my very first park, man, I'm telling you, April, I was scared to death. This is the most money I'd ever invested at any point in my career. It was $65,000 investment. That was a lot of money for me. I remember waking up in the middle of the night having cold sweats. Like, what am I doing? Am I just throwing this money away? Or like, am I going to be good at this? Are they going to take advantage of me. And so I was really nervous until I finally got out of the emotional state of let's be logical, not emotional. Yeah, I've never done it before. So there's going to be nerves, but my friend has done it. And then the, the person that taught me how to do this has done it. And then I met a bunch of other people that were learning to do it or already did it. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, 
if I just follow the playbook, I'll at least be like 70% as good as them. And 70% mm-hmm. is better than what I'm doing right yep. now. Yep. And so that was it. It was like the logic had to kick in. I had to give myself permission to feel what it was, but then say, no, let's get out of the emotional space. Let me get into logical space. If I have the playbook that works for everyone else mm-hmm. in time, I can get good at it, even if I'm not at the beginning. And that was such a great decision. It gave me the confidence to move forward. And then I stopped waking up in the night, freaking out. Realizing mm-hmm. that the plan works. I think that's where so many people get it wrong, Justin. I'm so glad you you mentioned this because one of the things we talk about at Pivot Me a lot is what I call a design peer group versus a default peer group, which is actually my next book. We forget to design who we're spending our time with. And whether that's on a personal level, whether it's other happy couples, whether it's people that prioritize fitness, it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever we're trying to get to three years from now, we have to build a network of people. We have to build a peer group that not only supports it from a cheerleading standpoint, that are a couple of steps ahead of us. And so I think where so many people get it wrong and I got it wrong for years as well. I tried to do it alone. Like I would read a book and I was like, oh, that's enough. I'll just go do it. But I didn't know a single other person who'd done the thing. I, I mentioned to you, I became a real estate investor at 20, I think it was. I didn't know anybody who invested in real estate. I got my rich dad, poor dad book, right? Which was on tape. I had tapes of that and Tony Robbins driving around my little Toyota Corolla. And I was trying to do it based off of a book. And I didn't know a single other person who was doing it. And if I would have known people, it would have made it so much easier, so much easier. And I think that's where so many of us get it wrong. I think we don't find the people partially to protect our ego, partially because if we fail, then nobody actually knows that we tried. We're not really afraid of failing. We're afraid of failing publicly, but just having the courage to say, okay, I'm going to go find the people. Sounds like it was through the boot camp. Sounds like your friend really kicked that off too. Those people then normalize success at your goal. Where we get it so wrong is we set a goal and then we don't know a single person who's done that thing. And then that is the long path to success. That's right. It's uncomfortable to meet people that you don't know that play You know, I like to say I want to spend time with people that play the game of life and business and investing and health at a higher level than me Mm -hmm. because they're going to pull me up to their standards. I'm very confident I'm not going to drag them down to mine Mm -hmm. if I have enough of them around. And so that's the goal. It's like, how can I be a student? I'm curious. Teach me what you know, but that's where the intentional networking comes in. It's mm-hmm. most people's network, most people's peer group is proximity based, yes. right? It is not intentionality based. But it was a game changer for me when I made that pivot and also probably the biggest game changer for me is that I marked in my calendar once a week where I was going to take someone to either coffee, lunch, dinner that was more successful in a certain area than me. And I was just going to pick their brain. I was going to treat them and pick their brain. And I did that once a week, at least for over 20 years. And so I just have this compounding thousands of hours and thousands of pieces of education that I've been able to glean from some of the brightest, wisest, Mm -hmm. most successful people. And that's where you can cut the learning curve in half. I'm way ahead in a shorter period of time because I didn't trial and error or anything. I just did what they did that worked. Someone's already done it. Like why reinvent the wheel? Just be like, well, his wheel looks good. Let me ask him how I built it. So a hundred percent, you're talking my language. And, and it kills me when people are on that slow path to success, because it's like, what you're doing is not that new. Find someone who's done it and then just 
borrow their wheel, ask them how. And so I find that a lot of people just want to be ready before they show up. They want to be ready before they enter the room. They want to have some amount of information on that topic before they ask that person out to coffee every week. Did you struggle with that, Justin? And if so, how did you get over like, okay, I don't know anything about investing or real estate or mobile home parks, or it doesn't matter, self-directed IRAs. It doesn't matter what it was, but how did you get over the fact that I don't know, and I'm going to ask this person and I'm going to look like a total newbie or idiot or whatever kind of language you'd use? Yeah, I am so all about learning. So I don't really have the fear of looking like a newbie. Like I'm totally like, hey, I don't know any of this. Can you teach me? So that part wasn't an issue. Like I can look silly, foolish, no problem. What I had a hard time with was rejection. So my big fear that held me back for a while is, well, what if I ask someone to meet me for coffee and they say no? (laughs) So that was really a hurdle I had to get over. And by the way, Plenty of people said no, you know, so at a certain point in time, you kind of build thicker skin and you can get numb to it. But and luckily I had some sales training even before that, but it never feels good to get denied. Luckily, most people who deny you don't just come out and say no. They just don't respond back. So it's kind of like they don't come back and say you're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an ego thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like once I got past that, once I stopped taking that stuff personally and realized, hey, it has nothing to do with me. It's like these people are super busy or the timing's not right. They just had a baby. They, you know, whatever it is, like I got to just not take anything personally. And it's a numbers game. If I ask enough people, enough people are going to say yes. And the more successful someone is, as they're getting to like a season change in their life where they move from success to significance, they want to pour back in. They Mm -hmm. want to mentor others. They're happy to give time. Yeah. You just got to get them in that right season. It was interesting on our Pivot Me Academy called just two hours ago, one of the gals was saying that she was struggling with rejection. And I I said, well, keep in mind, you're not necessarily struggling with rejection. When Sarah looks at you and says, no, I can't go on Tuesday. That's not a struggle. It's the story you tell yourself about the rejection. That's the struggle. And she's like, I said, do you know the story you're telling yourself? And she's like, oh, and then she actually said the words, it feels like abandonment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where else has that shown up in your life? Anyways, that turned into a larger conversation. But if you're struggling with rejection, it's because of the story you tell yourself about the rejection, like, oh, I'm not good enough. Or I knew I should have got a degree in this first. I knew I should have got that certification. I'm too young. I knew that they thought I was too young. We've got some pre-rehearsed, like well, well rehearsed limiting belief that we just reach back and go, oh, this is why they rejected me. Because them saying, no, I can't make it or just not replying at all isn't painful. It's a story we tell ourselves that makes it painful. Like, did you have to consciously make that switch or did you just kind of land on it's not personal? Yeah. I mean, I think what ended up happening is the pleasure outweighed the pain. So Mm -hmm. the time that I got with people, I was like, this is so good. This is breathing life into me. And I am feeling so filled up that I don't even care if someone says no anymore, because I'm going to get through enough people to get another cool meeting like this and just add another person to my contact list. So that really what it was for me. And probably part of it is getting a little numb and just not caring as much. But I really think the positive, like this person's amazing. I can't wait to connect with them again. Like that aha was like, that is worth all the no's. That that is worth 20 no's. Yeah. So Justin, when I'm thinking about you replacing your kind of corporate income with real estate, is there a moment where you're like, this can't be right? 
or this can't be legal or because I find that we have these beliefs about that work is supposed to be hard or work is supposed to take 40, 50 hours a week. And when it doesn't, it, there's almost like this cognitive dissonance that happens where you're like, this can't be right. Did you experience that? Well, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I'm a very disciplined person. And so early on in my career, I figured out how to make more by working more. And so I <laughs> was rewarded based yes. on work ethic, right? For better or worse, like I'm glad that I had that experience. I'm glad I had that season of life. And it was a long season for me mm-hmm. to the point that burnout crept in. And it was like, yeah, I've got to do it smarter. And so doing it smarter. Yeah. Right. And so the smarter way is you actually don't have to work that hard and you can actually make more than when you were working that hard. And the better question is like, how do I do that? Like, what are the activities? And so, you know, when I saw my friend pulling in, I mean, he moved into a mansion in a short period of time. He was younger than me. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. So your passive income covers your mortgage on Mm -hmm. this home? are you kidding me? And they had like a guest house and we stayed in the guest house. And I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. So, you know, part of it for me is like, can this really happen? Well, actually I know it can really I'm happen because I know this person. Yeah. And, and if he can do it, like, so can I. You didn't reply with resentment. You didn't reply with why him and not me. What did he do? What's his inside? I just want to point that out because a lot of people they turn towards, oh, they must have known something. Oh, it's nepotism. Oh, it's this, it's that. They must have had money from somewhere else. That's really important because you can't learn when you're resentful. Instead, you're like, look at his success. I want that for me too. I'm happy for him and I want that for me. For sure. And, and by the way, and I looked at it as like, he can mentor me in how to do it. Yeah. You know? So not only I ask him do out. I have confidence that I could do it, right? But- he was doing it and doing a great job. And I'm like, hey, will you take me under your wing? I mean, you kind of have this thing figured out and Mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of play the game too. We can help each other. Yeah. Hey, Pivoter, I see you taking notes. I see you applying things into your business and life. Great work. But what if you could do it on a Zoom call with me? Well, here is your invite. I am hosting a free live event on Zoom where I get to know you, your challenges, and help you work through them as we accelerate your growth together. This is a free virtual event, and I'd love for you to join. Hop over to pivot-me.com backslash event and save your spot now. We'll keep these small. They will fill up. I'd love for you to be there. Again, it's pivot-me.com backslash event. We'll also put the link in the show notes and I'll see you there. So what did that look like? So you have the one mobile home park and you're like, it's working. I can't believe it. This is amazing. Like what's the next step after that? Well, the first mobile home park. So the goal in in buying the first property was to replace my wife's income. So she was a teacher at that point in time. She had a very fixed schedule, not a lot of free time outside of the summer. And so work-wise, we were just on opposite schedules. My busy time was in the summer. She was off in the summer. And so I wanted us to get on the same schedule. She couldn't travel during the school year. Teachers don't have that flexibility during the school year generally. So one fail swoop, we bought this mobile home park. The profit that we made on that covered what she was making for the year. So she stopped working. We shortly thereafter that had our daughter. I bought another park and that one covered our survival income. So just not lifestyle yet, just bare minimum, like mortgage, utilities, car payments, you know, all that groceries. And then I bought another one and that covered our current lifestyle income. So at that point in time, we were making about 10,000. We're spending about 10,000 a month. 
Mm-hmm. So it was about 120,000 a year. And so we were able to cover that in just the third property. We got a fourth one and that gave a surplus income, a fifth one. We had an exit in there that we 1031 into a couple more properties. So we had some big growth and just a good amount of capital to put to work because of that sale. And it kind of quickly became a problem. Like the original problem is we don't have any passive income. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, we don't have enough passive income. And then it's like, whoa, we have way more passive income than we know what to do with. Gotta get taxed. Yeah, we gotta figure out like actually how to manage money, how to pay Mm -hmm. less in taxes. And so that was, you know, kind of the evolution of the lifestyle investors figuring out like, how do we live an epic life And how do we bring others along with us? And how do we teach them the things that we've done? Mm -hmm. How do we expand and diversify the portfolio? So that way it's not all in one asset class. Sure. Uh, I don't want to be top heavy in case something happens. So that's really where I got my start in figuring out like, well, how do you invest in debt or private credit? How do you invest in operating companies? Mm-hmm. How do you buy companies in full? How do you invest in equity and parts of companies? How do you invest in the crypto space, in the e-commerce space, in music royalties, in original content? And I got to take this deep dive into everything out there there to figure out how to become more savvy as an investor, how to Mm -hmm. become more savvy as an entrepreneur. During this time, I started a company with a couple of friends that ended up taking off and just recently got its Series B, which is a single family home maintenance company for the institutional investors. So just a lot of things kind of aligned as I made the decision to create think time in my schedule to figure out what the ideal life looked like for my family and for Mm -hmm. me, like what would fill me up the most and how can I be a good steward of the money that we're being blessed with? Sure. When you said think time, are you a Keith Cunningham fan? I am. I mean, Keith is the one that I got a chance to meet him and, Mm -hmm. you know, he gave a a message. So you were talking about Tony Robbins. I've taken every Tony Robbins program course, read the books, been to everything that he does. And I met Keith at one of his events and then at a second event. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I got to know Keith a little bit better. And and before he ever wrote his books, the what is it? Slightly the road slightly less stupid, I think. <laughs> the is road the less name. stupid. Oh God, it's yeah. one of my favorite business books. It's so good. But <clears throat> I had this think time. And so today, like if I pull up my calendar, you'll see every Friday I have think time. Mm-hmm. It's technology free. And mm-hmm. it is just a place for me to be proactive instead of a lot of the time, mm-hmm. most people are reactive, right? Yeah. Not fires, moving from one thing to the next and really getting to a place where our schedule is happening to us. We're not happening to Mm -hmm. our schedule. I love this. So I have the same thing, my think time, but it's walking. And what I find is when we're firefighting, we are not building a new business. We're just maintaining our existing business. And most business owners, if we look at our day, it is just filled with firefighting. Like I'm responding to this. I got to put this. I got to address this. That's just maintaining the life and business you already have. You have to have creative space, think time, offsite. I'm a huge fan of like annual reviews and quarterly reviews that are offsite. They don't tend to work as well when you're in your actual office, but you have to create the space for that. So I'm a fan as well. And I love that you're a Keith and Tony fan. 
So let me take a step back. When I'm thinking about you going from one mobile home park to two to three to four, I get that there was a buyout somewhere along the way, and then you could 1031 them into other things. But that very first one, you said I had to put 65K down and it was the biggest investment. Where do you get the down for the second one? Is it I got enough income from, well, no, because you only got your wife's income from the first one. Like, where are you getting the down payments for each subsequent park? Well, I had at that point in time been saving for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I hadn't pulled the trigger on anything. I'd wanted to get into real estate sooner than I did. I just mm-hmm. was too scared to get in, too scared sure. to pull the trigger, didn't feel educated enough. At that time, I was living in Chicago, so I was looking at three flats and four flats, and they were just so expensive. So mm-hmm. I was saving up to buy one of those. And so it was just this interesting flip for me where I was like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to buy a three flat or a four flat. Maybe I'm supposed to buy a mobile home park. And oh, would you look at this? This mobile home park costs less than a three flat or four flat. Actually, I could buy two mobile home parks Mm -hmm. for the same price as one three flat. So I could buy a three flat for a million bucks, or I could buy two mobile home parks with a hundred units versus three units for the same million dollars. It's amazing. And I could get a bank loan for 80% of it or seller finance. What I ended up doing is negotiating a seller finance. So I only had to put 15% down on my first two deals. Perfect. Did they carry the note the whole time or did you end up refinancing? They They still are carrying the note today. (laughs) I love it. Yes, that's a big win. Yeah, it's a huge win. Well, and this is again, why it pays to have someone who knows about this they can give you insight because you're going to think, oh, it's like buying my home and you go to a traditional bank and then you put 20% down and the rate is what the rate is. There's not like deals can always be negotiated. Rarely are they set in stone. And that's a piece that I remember when I became an investor, I really had to kind of open my mind to, okay, just because that's what they're asking for. That's the terms that they want. There's a lot more ways. There's lots of ways to skin a cat. And I know that you've done seller financing a few times and that's worked out really well. When did you decide, Justin, though, that you're going to teach other people how to do this? So I love that you got taught, you had a friend, and then you went to the boot camp, and then this this whole new world opened to you. What does that decision look like when you say, I'm going to teach other people to do it? Well, I've had friends for years asking me to teach them the mobile home park business, ask me mm-hmm. to teach them. I got into other real estate as well. I started investing in companies. I started a couple of different companies. And so friends were just like, hey, I want a playbook. Can you write a book? Can you teach a course? Can you do something? For the longest time, I was just kind of resistant to it. I just didn't want to make the time doing it. And I had a friend that said, well, not only could I benefit from this, but a whole bunch of other people could. And I know that you are equipped to do this. How would you feel if you passed away and your daughter never learned any of these financial strategies that you've figured out in life? He went for the jugular. Like he pulled up your lineage, man. Wow, okay. So, I mean, we are literally walking around uh, Town Lake here in Austin and it was like a punch to the gut. And so I literally started writing a book the next day, which was really cool. And I didn't have a title. I didn't know what it was going to be. I just didn't know. I just started Mm -hmm. capturing my thoughts and asking people, people that I had coached over the years and different things, whether it be Mm -hmm. starting a business, scaling a business, recruiting sales, passive income, mobile home parks, other types of real estate, single family rentals, whatever it is, just all the people, Mm -hmm. like what are the main things that you've learned from me over the years? And then I just was able to incorporate that into the book. And I never thought the book was going to be 
much of anything. Like I was proud to be able to put a book together and I was like, Hey, I hope a few people buy it. And that'd mm-hmm. be pretty cool. And I ended up becoming a number one wall street journal bestseller and USA today bestseller. And the week it came out, it was, I think it was number eight of all books on Amazon, number one of nonfiction books. And today it's a top 1% of all books ever sold, That's which amazing. is really humbling and really cool. And all the proceeds of the book go to fight human trafficking in 30 countries around the world. So we've been able to donate literally hundreds of thousands of dollars because of this book. And so I feel like it's making the world a better place. It's buying mm-hmm. human freedom, but then it's educating people on financial freedom and so that really kind of was the kickstart to everything because I just thought I was going to put out a book. I didn't know. You just needed your daughter to read it. Right, right. And yeah. you'll see, like, even in my dedication, it, I mean, it's literally a book for her and, and we expanded on it, came out with some different iterations and additions and mm-hmm. you know, it really has become much more robust and started a podcast just because of the demand called The Lifestyle Investor and different courses, master classes, mastermind, all, all kinds of different programs and products around it. Um, and it's just really created a cool network. And for me, I get to see people every day having these financial victories and and buying their time back and living life and doing epic trips around the world. And just really, I feel like I am living this dream life because I'm helping other people unlock their dreams and unlock their freedom. And it's very rewarding because you only get to do it once for yourself and it feels good. But I mean, talk to anyone that's had a big exit, talk to anyone that's inherited a big sum of money from whatever it be, a transaction, a money being passed down, whatever it is. It feels really cool in that moment, but a month later, it's like, okay, what's yeah. next? This is like the gift that keeps giving because people you keep, are- You get to watch it. Yeah. Better. Yeah. You get to watch it. That's so amazing. Like you really did create a legacy in this because what you've given people never goes away. Once you teach, you're teaching someone how to fish, if you will, that skill doesn't go away. Now they know how to do that and they can go on and they can teach other people how to do it. But I mean, have you really sat back and appreciated how the thing that you're teaching people to do will forever change their lives and their families' lives? It's really rewarding. And I probably don't fully understand the gravity of impact. But one thing I do see is a lot of testimonials coming in. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have a a pretty regular flow of people just sharing the impact that it's had on their life and how things for their family are forever changed. And that to me is greater than any amount of money that I can ever earn on any product that we ever do. It's just that satisfaction of having impact because at a certain point you got enough money. So Mm -hmm. I hope at some point people realize that the money thing is never going to be satisfied. There's no dollar amount that you're eventually going to hit where you're like, oh, I've got enough for 99.9% of the world. It's Mm -hmm. the goalposts just move. And so if we're not intentional about figuring out what our priorities are and what our values are and then align with those things, then we're Mm going to be stuck in this trap, this race of more, of excess, of consumerism, of Mm -hmm. keeping up. And so I just think that, I mean, there's plenty of studies that show at certain amounts, there's not more, I mean, there's there's an amount of money where you can get happiness and joy from, but there is a threshold with which the extra from there isn't impacting it. Or if it is, it is a very relatively small impact and nowhere close to the degree of the impact you can have by pouring into someone else. So true. 
Justin, so we talked about some of the things you get to do because of the business you created. You know, that your schedule is usually Tuesday to Thursday. You got a lot of good quality time. You've got time for projects and stuff. What's something that you don't have to do anymore because of the business you created? Well, I mean, I kind of look at all the things that I don't enjoy doing in general. Mm -hmm. And I just love having the ability to hire for every one of those roles. So I take great joy in paying people to do things. So I don't like manual labor. I don't care for details. I can do it. It drains me from an operational standpoint. I'm done operating any business ever. I am the happiest person in the world paying a great income to people to operate the businesses that I'm part of. Basically, I just, I kind of look across the board. What are the 20% of activities that generate 80% of the results Should I be doing those? Is there someone better? Can I bring someone in that's just as good, if not better? And how do I eventually phase myself into just the things that bring me joy? Yes. So at a certain point in life, it's like, I'm going to do the things that just produce the most income or just produce Mm -hmm. the best results. And sometimes those bring me joy, but sometimes they don't. Sure. And I'm just in a season in life where I just want to do things I really enjoy. And some of those don't bring in a lot of income and some of them do, but I'm just focused on the things that that me up. Mm-hmm. And then I want to hire best in class for anything that is a real mover and shaker in the business, in any of the businesses, whether it be mm-hmm. lifestyle investor or the 300 plus businesses that our team has a financial commitment to. Sure. Justin, what almost got in your way? Like now you have this great quality of life and these great businesses, but what almost stopped that from happening? I mean, there's a number of things that almost got my way. I'd say I almost got my way or I probably did get my own way. I think the idea that I need to do everything myself because I'm the best at it, Mm -hmm. that probably slowed me down tremendously before I realized I can't be the best at five different things at the same time, even if it was the only thing maybe at that point I'm the best. But then the reality is, why can't I train someone to be better than me? If that's the only thing they do. So I think I got in the way there. I mean, I think I've had times in my life where I have chased the wrong things, whether it be money, whether it be just growth for the sake of growth. I think a lot of alpha personalities probably pursue net worth at any cost. And so sometimes I've found myself falling in that trap that I do not want to fall in. I mean, it is so subjective and really cash flow matters way more than net worth anyway. I remember I had more cash flow than a lot of my friends that had all this net worth, but they were basically like they had no utility yep. on this huge yep. net worth. And they're like living paycheck. You to paycheck. can't eat on net worth, yeah. but you can eat on cash flow. So yeah, just keeping priorities where mm-hmm. they need to be say a pivoter is listening right now and they're like, okay, well, I hadn't thought about investing in mobile home parks or investing in real estate in this way. What would you say to someone that's kind of on the fence going, okay, I have a business. I maybe have some extra money at the end of the month. I could do something like this. They're kind of on the fence. What advice would you give them? I think figure out what is the biggest priority. Is the biggest priority the return where you're willing to sacrifice time or is the biggest priority something that helps buy time back where you can keep your time in your business if that's the main thing. And in time, it can buy your time out of that business. So 
for people that are in a place where they have the financial capacity to invest, I think it's smart to find the best and brightest in class at the thing that they do and invest in them. They're probably going to be better than you unless it's in your specific niche and area of expertise. And it's okay to lose money as long as you learn lessons along the way that protect you from losing money later. I think most people, they don't get in the game because they're too afraid of what could go wrong. But I've learned so many strong lessons from things that went wrong that have now helped me become better and smarter as an investor. So long term, I'm glad I had those losses, even though short term, it really was hard to stomach in some instances. Yeah, it's so good. So they are afraid to get into the game because they're afraid of what can go wrong. But those end up being the biggest lessons. That's such a, a really good point. So we have one final question before we ask that. So we're going to put your links in the show notes, but Justin, if someone's listening and they're like, I want to know more about the work that you're doing and the way that you're training people to do this type of work, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Best place is probably just to go to lifestyleinvestor.com. We have a number of different programs and products from free to high ticket, anywhere from a blog and a podcast to online course, mobile home park masterclass, passive income masterclass, lifestyle investor mastermind, and several other products in the works. But one of the things that uh, I'm happy to offer to your audience for anyone that may be interested is if they want a free strategy session for next steps, like what should I do? How do I, I always wrap up my podcast episodes by saying what's one step you can take today to move towards financial freedom and to move towards a life by design, not by default. And if you're looking for like, what is that one step? I'm happy to do a free strategy session. Someone on our team would engage with anyone that did have interest at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash strategy. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes too. Last question for you, Justin. If you could tell the world one thing, maybe about business, maybe about life, doesn't matter. But if you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? I think it's probably the greatest joy that I have experienced and that I've seen most people experience is when they truly buy their time back and they own freedom. They own their time and they can pursue the people, the activities, the passions that fulfill them the most. I just think that there is nothing better than that life. And that life is different for everyone the way that it looks, the way that it's laid out. But when you have all the choices in the world, most people can't make the pivot from what they're doing to choosing how they want to spend their time without solving the problem of how do I cover the bills? So most people have to solve for that, but you don't have to, to make that pivot. But the bottom line is when you buy your time back, I don't know that there's a much greater gift on this earth. So good. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you, Justin, for the information, for the insight. We'll put everything in the show notes. Check him out. Check out the book and the podcast as well. And I appreciate what you've brought to us today. And just honestly, just kind of sharing your journey and understanding like how you got to where you were or where you started and where you are today. Understanding that journey lets us know, hey, that's available for me too. That it wasn't just you were born into this. This wasn't handed over to you. You learned the ropes by falling from them as well. And you've just given us a real gift today. So thank you for that. Well, thanks, April. It's always great to connect and I appreciate being on your show and really just getting a chance to hang with you. You are a ton of fun, full of energy, witty, just easy to hang out with. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. 
break down a few things from our talk today with Justin. So when he's thinking it's time for a change, he finds an independent party to speak into his business and life. Someone that doesn't have a dog in the fight. This is key. They're going to see details so much clearer because they're not impacted by the results of his decision. And leveraging people, bringing them into his sphere of influence has been key to his success. He didn't go at it alone, which is ultimately the long path to success. Not only was seeing his friend get into mobile home parks key, but he also purposely sought out mentors or people that simply knew something he needed to know. And he asked them to coffee each week. School was in session once a week, so simple and yet so effective. You see, we often try to go at it alone. We toil alone. We, when stepping out of the cage, doing something different, we want to do it quietly. After dark, where no one can really see us. Really, so no one can see us fail. Nobody can see us stumble or look incompetent. We Instead, we research and we Google at home, which just ultimately protects our ego. And that is the long path to success. We've got to be visible about it. We've got to ask for help. We've got to ask for the meetings. Justin asked for the meetings. He showed up. He was vulnerable. He got rejected a lot, but still he kept at it. You see, many of us don't do that. We think we've got to be ready before we ask for the meeting, before we show up. We self-select all the time. I'm not good enough yet. I don't know enough yet. Hell, nobody needs to reject us. We'll do it ourselves. Do not remove yourself from the table early. Stay at it. If you screw up, do it again. Do it better. Failure is just data points. Rarely is it personal. So Justin had these meetings for years. He designed his peer group. He bought his first mobile home park and then replaced his income, then his second park, then his third and fourth. For him, it was important not to sacrifice his quality of life. Maintaining their lifestyle was very important to them. And Justin found a way. I want to point out what he said at the beginning of the interview too, when he said, indecisiveness drains you. That was gold. I hope you really heard that. And I hope you thought about what you've been indecisive on. What decision have you been mulling over, keeping you up at night? Maybe you already know what needs to happen. You know the decision needs to be made, but it involves a hard conversation. Maybe some tough love, a hiring, a firing, maybe letting someone down. That indecisiveness is draining you. Take a moment to consider that and ask yourself what you are prepared to do about that indecisiveness. If you are facing a crossroad, it is costing you precious time, energy, and mental real estate. Lastly, I want to point out that when Justin was still in corporate America, he had a good thing going for him, a good income, great perks, great relationships at his job. Naturally, people thought he was crazy to leave that all behind. And you see, in hindsight, when we're looking at him now, it all seems obvious. Of course he left. Look how much money he makes now. Look at his Tuesday through Thursday schedule. But imagine, if you will, the moment before he transitioned away from corporate, his safe, secure job, his insurance, his retirement, his tight knit group of coworkers. It wasn't obvious then. It wasn't obvious that he would be successful in this new venture. It wasn't obvious that buying mobile home parks was the way to go. He knew nothing about that, but he took a chance and he left the comfort and it, it paid dividends. Go connect with Justin. We'll have his contact information in the show notes, but you can find him at thelifestyleinvestor.com. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. 
Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.